Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Well, officially, good morning to everybody. When I'm doing communion, sometimes I feel like I'm up here too much. So we have been working through the book of Proverbs um, since June of last year. We took a little break for um, Christmas time, going through the voices of, of um, the Incarnation. Last week, we jumped back into the book of Proverbs and beginning looking at um, part of the pearls of wisdom, looking at the righteous. And so last week was part one of it, and this will be part two. And then two weeks from now, Lord willing, then we'll finish it up with part three, but you never know, it might become part three of part four. But um, as we looked at the righteous, and I'm jumping right in because there's a lot that I want to cover today. And um, probably not going to cover everything i got slides for. I've already prepared myself for that. Um, you know, this is a, one of these mental moments where you just have to say to yourself, you're really not going to cover everything that you, you have on those slides, you know. And, um, but looking at last week as kind of a quick review about who the righteous are, um, we saw that righteousness or being righteous is having the quality, if you would, of being in conformance to that which is right. So biblical righteousness is being then in conformance to what God declares as right. Because there are many people who believe that they are righteous. And they are righteous in their own eyes, according to their own standards of what is right and what is wrong. The sad thing is, if it's not God's standard, then it's a false standard. And there are going to be a lot of people, sadly, in the place of torment, hell, apart from God for all of eternity, because they've been trusting in their own standards of righteousness and not that of God. I think of Paul, again, in Romans chapter 10, saying that he has this great desire for Israel because they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So Jesus, while he's on the earth, said, woe unto the Pharisees, because they were like whitewashed sepulchers. They were clean on the outside, and he didn't condemn that. He didn't condemn the fact that they desired to follow the, 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 the word of God, the, the righteousness of God. But rather, they were trusting in their own righteousness that they added to that. And so inside, they were full of dead men's bones. And so... A righteous individual, then, is one who seeks to practice biblical righteousness. A truly righteous individual. And that's who we're going to be talking about again today. And so we saw the usage of the term um, in these passages. As we looked through it, Genesis 15, verse 5 and 6, that was with Abraham. That God took him outside, said, look at the stars, count them if you can. And, and Abraham believed Yahweh, and Yahweh accounted it to him for righteousness so his righteousness was not according to any of the works which he's done but rather was according to the fact that he believed what god told him that's always the standard of biblical righteousness that you ultimately believe the word of god because if you believe in the word of god what will you do you'll submit to the word of god hopefully anyway and so we really believe, we really d demonstrate what we believe about God's word by how we live it out. And that's what Deuteronomy 6 is all about as well. That 
talking about that we then portray our righteousness in how we obey God. Romans 3, I don't have time to go through this, but that's on, again, those verse sheets as you came in. Um, I, I put a couple of those out there for those who may not have got it last week. Um, but that whole thing was all color-coded between what was righteousness, what was faith, um, and all those things. And that, and that Paul, basically, in this passage, is doing an expository message on, on Genesis 15, verses 5 and 6, that Abraham believed God and God counted him for righteousness. And that, that our righteousness that we have is based on faith, not based upon our works. Okay, And so it's very important for us Okay, as we look at that. We then saw the inclinations of the righteous as we went through it, and we saw that a righteous individual is going to be teachable. He's going to be humble. He's going to be teachable. So we saw in Proverbs 9, give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a just, or in the, the Hebrew, literally it's a righteous man. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Okay, Because a righteous man, if a righteous man is a righteous man, that sounds redundant, but if he's truly a righteous man, then his righteousness is according to the standards of Yahweh, and he knows, then according to the word of God and the standards of Yahweh, that he's not perfect that all have fallen short of the glory of God. So therefore, he knows that he still has so much to learn. He hasn't reached it yet. So a righteous man, a wise man, a righteous man, will accept, receive instruction. They won't stiffen their neck, harden their heart, because they don't need to learn something. Who are you to teach me? But rather, they're going to listen and they're going to respond. And they're going to search the scriptures daily, like the Bereans, to find out whether the things are true, right? His tenderness, Proverbs 12, verse 10. A righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Okay, again, that he's going to be a tender individual, okay? His thoughts, his thoughts are always going to be toward that which is right. The counsels of the wicked always are deceitful. His tongue, and this is just representative. Remember, we, we had about a dozen verses that we looked at last week regarding the tongue and the words of the righteous. But I like this one as representative. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life. The violence covers the mouth of the wicked. A, one who is walking according to the righteousness of God, who has the words of Christ, if you would, dwelling within them, will seek to use his words to build people up, not tear people down. They will be a well of life, if you would, not a well of death. I think of, I think it was Elisha was the, the prophet at the time when the, the man went out and he got a gourd and he threw it into the pot and everybody said, there's what? There's death, death, poison, but there's death in the pot, death in the pot. And so he went and got some flour and threw flour in and he said, okay, everything's good now, okay? And so, but that's kind of what we do sometimes with our tongue. And so James says it, can't, it shouldn't be so. From the same source shouldn't come this sour water and the sweet water. There shouldn't be coming forth death and coming forth life. But if we truly are the righteous, then coming from our lips ought to be life, not death. We want to move on now looking at the impact of the righteous. The impact of the righteous. And we're going to see two areas, at least where, again, I took all these verses and I coalesced them down, right? And so this... Um, we're going to be looking at all these. But first of all, in their family, the impact of the righteous in their family. You have, if you've got the, the verse sheets, you have all these that are there. And so um, I'm going to read 
from my verse sheet because, again, they're going to be all over Proverbs, okay? And for the sake of time, I'm just going to kind of come through these. But you have them on your sermon note sheet as well. You can be looking in your Bible and checking me out and making sure that all this is true, okay? So the impact of the righteous um, in their home, and so regarding their home, this is what happens in their house. Proverbs 3, verse 33. The curse of Yahweh is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just, or literally in the Hebrew, of the righteous. So what's the first thing I know about the house of the righteous? Well, just as God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you, that those who are walking, if you would, in the faith of Abraham, God will bless. He will bless. So he brings the, the blessing on the home of the righteous. Proverbs 12, verse 7. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. The house of the righteous will stand. Why do you think it will stand? Go back up to Proverbs 3, verse 33. Because God is what? Blessing the home of the righteous. Okay? Proverbs 14, verse 19. The evil will bow before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. You say, well, it certainly doesn't look like it right now. We're going to talk about this a little bit more when we get to the impact in the community. It certainly doesn't look like that now. And you're right. It doesn't necessarily look like that now. But ultimately, what's going to happen? The wicked will bow at the gates of the righteous. It's a promise. Does it make sense? I mean, I, my, I can't judge things based upon how this world looks right at this moment. I know ultimately there is victory in Jesus. Okay, and that ultimately is where it all plays out. Proverbs 15, verse 6. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. I've shared this illustration in the past, but I remember when we were converting our garage into a, a bedroom and a bathroom and such, and I was, um, with the, when we do the, the, the plumbing, I don't do my own plumbing. I know how to do plumbing, but I don't, I mean, I can, I'll, I'll play with electrical because I don't have, but man, water starts coming in, you know, it's just no stopping it. So I, I, I bring somebody in always to help me with my plumbing. So I had a plumber come in to help me with my, my doing the finishing up the shower work. Right. And, um, this guy he was a plumber's helper. He was in, in the house for a period of time. And, and we were standing outside, you know, when, when he was done and he says, he says, man, he says, no, I don't mean this as braggadocious. I, I really don't. He says, he says, one day I hope to be as rich as you. I'm thinking, dude, this is a small house. This is, I am remodeling. I mean, maybe we're, we're looking at that part of it, but it hasn't, I, I, I don't know who you're looking at, but I'm not that rich at all here, you know? I mean, I'm living in a lower, you know, part here. And he says, no, he says, no. And it was this verse. He says, I'm not looking at the money side. He says, I'm looking at everything else that you've got. You've got a wife who loves you. You've got kids who love you. You've got peace in your home. He was there at the right time. I mean, you, 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 do, you do things right at the right time. Anyways, and, but, anyways but he was looking at all those. He said, I want to have that. He had been married, and it all fell apart. And I said, well, the answer is in, is in Christ. But the sad thing is he knew it. He already knew that. But he wasn't willing to what? Follow it. He wasn't willing to submit to it. He wanted it. He earned it. He saw the riches in that which is not wealth. That wealth couldn't buy him. 
And yet, he still was going to pursue the wealth. I likened it to the rich young ruler. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? So Jesus told him, in the end, go sell everything. One thing you like, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor. And then you'll be, you know. And he walks away sad. Why? Because he made the decision. He wanted his wealth, not the true riches of God. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure. But in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. Proverbs 23, verse 24. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. And he who begets a wise child will delight in him. There's a part where I want my mom and my dad, you guys get this, to be proud of me. You never lose that even as an adult. There's a part where you want your mom and dad to not grieve every time they got to talk to other people about their kids. You know? So you say, well, my mom and dad are dead now, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> they don't have to talk about me anymore. But you get what I'm saying. Now you take that into your own kids. Moms and dads. It's a great joy when you can talk to people about the righteousness, if you would, of your children, how much they love the Lord. So, the effects, the impact of the righteous in the house of the righteous. Secondly, in the memory of the righteous. Proverbs 10, verse 7 says, The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. How's that, huh? It seems like the wicked got it while they're here on the earth and they're, and they're gaining all the money and they're getting all the toys. But in the end, what do you want your legacy to be? The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. Proverbs 20, verse 7, The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. His children are blessed after him. Now, I don't know about you, I'm not perfect. There's things in the closet from the past that I'd rather remain in the closet. I don't want a national ministry. I don't want the media combing and trying to find everybody I ever knew in my life to find things that, that I burped at. And it's sad. You guys get this. It's sad when we see Christian leaders who, after they die you find out that maybe they weren't what you idolized them to be. Can I bring you in on a little secret? That's with every single individual. Everybody's got, again, a closet. Some aren't as full as others. I wish I had the testimony of the, I was the kid who got saved when they were three years old and lived a life for Christ the whole way through, and the, and the things that are in the closet are, are the... the, the you know, beating their little brothers and sisters up before they got saved or whatever. You know, I mean, that, that would be really kind of an exciting, ugly closet to have. You know, my closet is a little bit fuller than that. And so, but the righteous man walks in his integrity. So who's the righteous man again? Say again. Faith in Christ. Faith. Let me, let me define it again. Go back to what it's faith in God. In the plan of God. Now, we know that that's faith in Jesus now because that's the plan of God. That's where it's come along. Abraham didn't necessarily have that. He believed God. Does that make sense? And so you, I really want you to nail that one down. 
okay? Because, again, like in Sunday school, we talk about, you know, we, we kind of stop at a certain point. We say, oh, I faith in Jesus, and it doesn't matter really now. No, it's faith in God. It's believing and taking God at his word. All of this is his word, not just John 3.16. You need to be having a de- time every day eating and feasting upon the word of God, but not getting fat off it, but become that lean, mean fighting machine where, where you're, you're eating it and you're devouring it and it's strengthening you because you're applying it to your life. That's the righteous man. Not just the one who said, okay, I believe that Jesus died for me. But then he continues, and Jesus says to those Jews who believed on him, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Open my eyes, and I may behold wondrous things from your law, from your word. You just sang that a little bit ago with Psalm 119. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You get it? And we can continue on and on and on. That's the righteous person. And when he walks, then not in his own integrity, if you would, but in his integrity in that he's seeking to follow after the word of God, his children are blessed after him because the legacy that he'll leave them is one that they can be proud of and one that they can walk in his footsteps in. Proverbs 13, then verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Hmm. Because he didn't think ahead in how he did those things. In their community. Now, the socio-political effects of the righteous. Marcia asks, she says, were you thinking about uh, what we're going through right now when you put that verse in the top of the bulletin? No, I wasn't. However, if the shoe fits, what? Wear it. Now, you're going to note, if you have the sermon note sheet, that there are four groupings of verses there. I don't have a, uh, it, uh, um, a one, two, three, and four underneath that. I just have four groupings. Do you know why? Because I couldn't figure out how to title it. So... <laughs> You got four groupings, man. My, my dump truck was full. Does it make sense? And I was trying to make some coalescence out of this thing. And, uh, and I couldn't. I couldn't come up with any. Um, and so I'm, I was praying and praying and praying about it. And God never said, well, because a lot of times you'd be surprised. I mean, it is amazing sometimes when, when I'm preparing. Outlines just come. They just, I mean, there's nothing. Just nothing. I'm struggling. And all of a sudden, a whole outline. You think some of these words like, you know, you know, where does Bob get these words? Sometimes they may come from a thesaurus, thesaurus, thesaurus but usually they're just the sorry, whatever that word is, you know, see, you're all telling me what that word means. So you know what it was. Don't worry about it. It was a dinosaurus. Okay. So anyways, but that, that outline will just dump. So when it wasn't dumping, and this is the second week I had the chance to, to have something there. It hasn't dumped. So I've decided that God just wants it to dump. Make sense? We're, we're just going to dump right now. And you take this for whatever it is because it's the word of God. It's quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And it doesn't need my, my smoothness to, to bring it into some coalesced outline. So be prepared to be dumped on. Okay? 
I'm just letting you know. He, uh, Proverbs 11, verse 10. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there is jubilation. Proverbs 28, verse 12. When the righteous rejoice, there is great glory. When the wicked arise, men hide themselves. Proverbs 28, verse 28. When the wicked arise, men hide themselves. But when they perish, the righteous increase. Proverbs 29, verse 2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Now, those four verses all kind of say the same thing in, in a sense to me. That when the righteous are ruling, when they are in charge, then the nation rejoices. So, I want you to think this one. Just, it's not going to take you very hard to, to think this one through, especially in, in our economy right now, right? Okay? When, when righteous people are ruling, when they're in charge, the nation is excited and glad. When a wicked man is ruling, then, then everybody groans. Now, this is written in a time when that, the, the person who's ruling would be a what? A king, right? So there wasn't a, a decision. They didn't vote on this guy. They got whoever happened to be there, right? So you go from David to Solomon to Rechaboam. You know, and what a name. Rechaboam is like, it sounds like a Rechaboam. But actually, it was Solomon who began the process of wrecking it up, if you really look at it, okay? And so, and you can understand when you're going through Israel that there were periods of time when people were rejoiced and times when people, what? They groaned. But I look at our country today, and again, I'm not being, trying to be a political, but this is, this is the word of God. And I have to admit to myself that these verses don't hold true. Isn't this sad? Because we don't want, as a nation, the righteous to be in charge. Rather, as we saw in our, uh, the communion devotional, men loved darkness rather than light. And the negative thing about where we have become as a nation, not having a king, is that we are Caesar. We are Caesar. We, the people, have turned it, have converted it. Again, this is not a political message. But we've converted it from a republic to a what? What do we think we are? Democracy. Do you get it? You say something long enough and it becomes it. We never were a democracy. We were a republic. But now we are a democracy, quickly becoming a socialist Okay? Now, again, I don't, I'm not making it political. But what's the point? When you go to the democratic society, who makes the decisions? The people do. I challenge you at some point to go read Isaiah chapter 5. There are seven woes. If you were here a couple years ago, we went through the book of Isaiah and we went through the seven woes. There's a progression of the woes. And in the progression of the woes, the people will, will turn away from God... They'll choose to worship something other than God. They become then God themselves. In becoming God themselves, they begin to determine themselves what is right and what is wrong because they want the stuff of the world. And once they become then the determiners of what is right and what is wrong, what is evil becomes what is good, and what is good becomes evil. And the ones with the loudest voice or the most, most power are the ones who can push forward their 
concept, their standards of what is right. So think about as we begin this message, even last week, and we identified who are the righteous. What is righteousness? Again, righteous is that which is in conformance to that of a standard of what is right. So if you looked at today, this country today, and you looked at what is being written in the most of the media, in most of those things, you have a standard of righteousness which is antithetical to a biblical righteousness. We live in a day when they call what is good evil, and what is evil they will call good. How sad it is that we are so far off the mark. And I wonder if even the leaders that we have been excited about have honestly ruled our nation according to the righteous standards of God. I believe we left the mark from that a long time ago. It didn't happen just a couple months ago. It didn't happen a couple years ago. But as a nation, we made a decision back in the turn of the 20th century, around the 20s, to no longer worship the Creator God, but to worship the God of evolution. One generation later, into the 60s, we take prayer and Bible reading out of school. Why? Because we just taught a generation, 40 years, that there is no God. You're just an evolved animal. It makes total sense. So now you have the new definitions already coming in of standards of rightness. Because now you have free love. And you have all this other stuff that was going on in the 60s. To now we have, 40 years later into the early 2000s where you have abortion on demand you have homosexual marriages read Romans chapter 1 and you'll see how it plays out it takes two generations for a nation to turn away from God unless we sit here and point fingers and condemn Ask yourself then, what if you were the president? What firm stand would you be taking? How would you declare yourself publicly? Are you more concerned about pleasing the people so you get elected? Or are you more concerned about declaring the rightness of of God. We left the rightness of God's standard a long time ago. And we're excited about a really bad facsimile. As believers, as believers, we need to not be content with facsimiles. I get where I'm at in my culture. I hate voting for the lesser of two 
evils. It's still what? Evil. I rejoice when I can vote for someone who's taking a stand. The sad thing in in this land, you know it, sadly, and I know it. According to the standards of man, he'll never what? He won't win. That is the commentary on our country right there. That a man who stands fully according to this and takes this as his platform doesn't stand a chance in our country to win. And we want to say that we're a Christian nation. These four verses... I can't get past them. It ought to be what's true. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices and the wicked perish. There is jubilation. When the righteous rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. When the wicked arise, men hide themselves. But when they perish, the righteous increase. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. (sighs) How sad. We live in a day when it's totally opposite. The second grouping, beginning at Proverbs 10, verse 6, 16. The labor of the righteous leads to life, the wages of the wicked to sin. It is a joy for the just, or behind the scenes in Hebrew, the righteous, to do justice, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. The righteous considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. The desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hand refuses to labor. He covets greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. And you say, well, how do those four kind of go together? I see this all about, again, I don't have time to get into it. We talked about finances before, but all about my labor and what I do with that proceeds that I come from my labor. What do I work for? May I state it this way better? Who do I work for? That's ultimately it. Who am I really working for? The the righteous ultimately is working on behalf of Yahweh. All of his labor then is done on behalf of Yahweh. So they become diligent. Why? Because they, they have something that they're working for beyond themselves. The proceeds aren't just for themselves. They're actually for the kingdom of God's sake. And so then they have a different view Again, I don't, don't want to get into because you can go back and listen to the other messages, right? They have a different view of the poor. How sad it is when those who are the wicked, go back to the first four verses, are the ones who the world thinks care about the poor. It ought to be those who are the righteous, who are using the blessings of the resources that God has given them to not build their own kingdoms, but rather to use it to bless the poor. To reach them for the gospel. To reach them for the kingdom of God's sake. So that they might see the light, that those who are in darkness might see the light, but rather, no, we, we look sadly upon them and go, oh, they get what they got. When they're there, they made bad choices. I mean, oh, what, what am I going to help them for? May they be condemned. No! You say, no, I wouldn't talk like that. We do. In our thought processes, that's where we're at. We don't want to be bothered with the poor. 
The righteous considers the cause of the poor. The wicked does not understand such knowledge. Wow. The third grouping, Proverbs 29, verse 16. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increases, but the righteous will see their fall. Proverbs 29, verse 27. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, and he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. Focal points. Purposes. What's the purpose of the wicked? To do more wickedness. And because of that then, when he runs against the righteous, there's a what? There's a clash. What is supposed to be the purpose, the focus of the righteous? The rightness of God, right? So, so in the end, the first verse tells us that there is victory in Jesus, putting it, are we saying, right? The righteous will see what? They'll see their fall. In the end, that's a fact, okay? Not that I want it. I, I, I don't necessarily want to see their condemnation. Yeah, I do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, you don't. Yes, you, do. There's, you get the bipolar problem I have, okay? So we all struggle with this, okay? Because we don't like what happens to us. But the reality is that Jesus told, tells me even to love my enemies and pray for those who despitefully use me. Okay? So, so I, I've got to have this, be able to get past my feelings and understand that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, and that's even the guy who hates me. And I'm not supposed to hate him. But understanding that in the end, righteousness will what? It will prevail. It will prevail. And those who are the wicked and those who are going against the righteous, ultimately they will have their day before the, the throne. The, 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 the judge, ultimately, God himself, will, will I say condemn them, and, I, and he does, because in the end he is. But they condemn themselves, remember? Because that's what we saw in John 3, 16, that this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, but men love darkness rather than light. So, so they have the opportunity to respond, but they chose not to respond. They chose to condemn themselves, but it is God, ultimately, who then shh, condemned. And so in the end, it's going to happen. But, but because of that, then, there is this battle between light and darkness. It's going to always go on. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. There is this spiritual war that's going on. And so those who are walking after the prince of the power of darkness, they don't like the children of the light. But may I say the other side of this here as well? And he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked, but an unjust man, the first part of the verse says, is an abomination to the righteous. Are sinful ways abhorrent to you? First John 1 again. God is light, and in him, in, in him, and in him is no darkness at all. He that saith he hath fellowship with him and walks in darkness, he lies, and he does not the truth. All I can tell you is that I know when I got saved. Not because I became perfect. But sin was no longer fun. It was fun for a, a moment. Well, the season was that before Jesus, right? Yeah, but no, no. But, but my point is, that's before Jesus. 
after Jesus, sin may be for the moment, but all of a sudden, there is no joy in it as a believer because I can't walk in it. The Spirit won't let me walk in it. Okay? And so I'm not, again, not saying that to push me, but that's the, the difference that's there. You can't walk in it. If you, can, if you can walk in sin and it doesn't bother you, you've got to ask yourself whether you're really a believer. Don't get to the judgment seat and say, <gasps> that's why in hell there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth, we get it. People who are still angry at God, they're still fighting after God. But there's weeping because there's a lot of people who are there who thought they weren't going to be. That's exactly right. Fourth grouping. Proverbs 17, verse 15. He who justifies to be made right, Sadak is our word. So he who justifies or makes righteous the wicked, and he who condemns the just or the righteous, both of them alike are an abomination to Yahweh. Proverbs 17, verse 26. Also to the... Also, to punish the righteous is not good, nor to strike princes for their uprightness. It is, Proverbs 18, verse 5, It is not good to show partiality to the wicked, or to overthrow the righteous in their judgment. Or in judgment. Proverbs 24, verse 24, He who says to the wicked, You are righteous, let him, let the people curse, nations will abhor him. Again, sadly, we're living in a land where things are being brought cattywampus, Right? He who justifies the wicked. Well, that's happening a whole lot in our socio-political judicial system right now. And I'm not making a comment about any specific case. But sadly, there are many cases right now that you can go to where it is not a righteous individual who's being declared as righteous. And we've got to be careful as believers... Because the world is coming in and wanting us to take up sides. I want to take up the side of what is righteous according to the eyes and plan of God. And that's going to put me at odds with the other side. Does it make sense? Mark. Are you a Bama fan? Will you say go Tigers for me? Can't do it. He, can't, he just can't do it, man. I mean, now he doesn't, know if I, he doesn't know if I'm talking about Auburn or if I'm talking about LSU. I might be spelling this G-A-U-X. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, you can say that now because they're gone, right? Anyways. But, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, you can, I mean, I was going to pick on the Steelers and saying go Browns, you know, because they're playing the Browns today. I mean, but go. I got, you know, it's like, you know, is there a prayer for the czar? Yes, there's a prayer for everything. May the Lord bless and keep the czar far from Anathevka, you know. And so that, that's kind of how we feel about this stuff, you know. And um, that's ought to be how it plays out. That wickedness ought to be that's over there. I want to go into this next section. This is a section that I said um, that there's no way I'm going to complete. But I want to do the first, um, first point here real quick. Um, yeah, to say it real quick. But anyways, that's why I know I'm not getting to the rest of them. Okay? And so we want to start with um, Psalm 37. It's not on your sermon note sheets. So turn with me to Psalm 37. 
If I did a Bible reading today, scripture reading, before the message, this would have been it. But I wasn't positive whether we're going to get here or not. So I want to end it with this in the next verse. And then um, we'll pick it up here next week, Lord willing. Or not next week, two weeks from now. Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse 25 to 40. Okay? I'm going to begin at verse 25. I have been young, and now I'm old. Years ago when I read that, I didn't understand it. Now I get it, right? So, I've been young, and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful in lens, and his descendants are blessed. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. For Yahweh loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom in his tongue talks of justice. The law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. Yahweh will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on Yahweh and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree. Yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man, and observe the upright. For the future of that man is peace, but the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from Yahweh, and he is their strength in the time of trouble. And Yahweh shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them, because they what? They trust in him. His position then, you can read there in Proverbs fifteen twenty nine, Yahweh is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. Psalm 37 just seems like it summarizes everything we've just talked about. It reveals to us why. It's because of our position. And because of our position, we're going to look, again, Lord willing, in two weeks from now, more about this inheritance that we have in him. The confidence that we have. The hope that we have in him. Not because of our own righteousness, but because of his. Because of who he is and what he has done. I could do go into a message on, on praying right now, and I'm not going to go there. But you know from John James chapter 5, the effectual fervent prayer of a, of a what? 
of a righteous man avails much. It's because Yahweh is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the what? The righteous. Who are the righteous? Those who are walking according to the rightness of God. Who believe God and then are walking according to what God has declared. So I have to ask myself again, as I fling through these next uh, slides, am I one of the righteous? Am I one of the righteous? How, what kind of impact, or how has righteousness impacted do we have in our house? Is it righteous? Is the impact that I have in my house really righteous? It's a real struggle. I'd love to tell you that always perfection is there. But my kids would stand up. Well, they probably wouldn't, but they should stand up and say, no, he's not right. That's not true. What kind of impact do you have in your community? Is it righteous? You ought to be having an impact in your community. Now, I don't want to be misconstrued by my comments before. I think it's very important for believers to be involved in politics. I think true believers who are going to take a true stand ought to be willing to go out there and be persecuted for their righteousness. Do you realize that the church has grown the greatest and fastest always in periods of persecution? Because people see what is really important when people are willing to be persecuted for it. How is the righteousness of Christ being portrayed in your life? And as I asked last week, how do you want it to be increasingly portrayed? What would be a prayer response that you'd have to God asking him, helping you in this certain area of rightness according to his standards? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, help us as the righteous to have an impact upon our homes and in our community in this world. Lord, that we would be a true blessing to those who are about us. Not according to the standards of the world, not according to false standards of righteousness, but according to those which you have declared. Lord, help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us to love even our enemies and to pray for those who despitefully use us. Help us to recognize, Lord, that there should be and is this disparity between those who are in the light and those who are in darkness. That those who are walking according to your right standards and those who are walking according to the false standards of the world. And though those standards may be abominations to us, Lord, that we have the ultimate desire that those who are walking according to those standards might come into the light. But that your light would expose the works of darkness as well, even in our own lives, that we might become more and more conformed to your image and likeness. Lord, help us to have a desire to walk according to the standards of your rightness, not for our own glory, but yours. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.